Well, hey there, and welcome to the Saints Church Glory Hills podcast. We're so happy that you joined us today. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, we believe that God will speak to you through one of our pastors today. Let's jump in. Exodus 3, verse 1. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. I was just giving those paper Bible people time to get to their verse. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel uh, appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush, and Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. There is, uh, recorded by Dr. Timothy Keller, there was a a mid-century British novelist who would write crime novels. Her name was Dorothy Sayers. She wrote these crime novels. And the protagonist of her story was this incredible detective. He was, uh, you know, uh, amazing detective. I don't know what else to say about it. Uh, He was an amazing detective, but by books four and five, you could tell that he was starting to get lonely. You know, lonely detective. Sometimes when, you, when you're just smart you're, and uh, attractive, you get lonely when you're solving murders at all times. And uh, so he started to get lonely. And, and, and so Dorothy Sayers did what any logical novelist would do. She wrote a love interest into the novels. And, and the, the, the critics of the day, the literary, literary critics of the day, began to note that the female lead, the love interest who became the wife of the protagonist, exhibited a number of characteristics that were just like the author, Dorothy Sayers. Now, Scripture says it's good that man, for man not to be alone. We know that. And so she's just like, there's a problem. I'm going to solve it. And she wrote herself into the novels and into the story to be the perfect partner for her protagonist. I would suggest to you today that God himself, God the Father, has been writing himself into the story of humanity and history from the beginning of time. That he's been writing himself into the story of all humanity as if to say, I'm over here, I'm over here. You may be the protagonist of your own storyline, but I'm the perfect partner to the protagonist. And then what you learn as you study scripture and as you follow Jesus is that you weren't the protagonist at all. He's the protagonist of this entire thing. He is the main character. He is everything. He is the center. He's our devotion. He's our heart. He's our mind. We're following him. So we are the perfect partner to the incredible most incredible protagonist. But God has been showing up since the beginning of time, writing himself into human history. In this moment right here in Exodus chapter 3, we find God writes himself into the story of Moses. Now, here's what I love about God, is that God knows me, and he knows you. Even though you might not know him all that well, he knows all about you. Why? Because scripture records that he handcrafted, created you. When you were in your mother's womb, he knit you together. He stitched you together. 
He knows all of your likes and your dislikes. He knows your proclivities. Why? Because he, he wrote it into the story of your life. He, he knows who you are. He knows what you like and what you don't like. Scripture goes as far as to say that he knows every hair that's on your head. Or for some of us, he knows how many hairs you're losing off of your head. <laughs> he knows it all. And so as he shows up to Moses in this moment about to ask him to take on an incredible mission, he knows Moses. He knows all the things that he likes and, and what fascinates him. That's why he set a giant bush on fire, because Moses is a pyro. He sets this bush on fire because Moses clearly likes fire. He's like, listen, if I'm going to get his attention, if I'm going to, if I'm going to, if like, if I'm going to relate to this guy, he clearly, like, clearly we're learning Moses likes to light things on fire. So God's like, listen, I know how to get his attention. I'm going to light this massive bush on fire and he's going to walk by. He won't be able to walk by this massive bush that's on fire. And so Moses walks by the bush that was engulfed in flames and it wasn't burning up. Now, here's also what happens with us when we're reading the Bible. Maybe you've done this before. You read the Bible, and you kind of just read it like you read, like, the latest white paper from work, like a research document, and you read the Bible like this. Moses stared in amazement. The bush was engulfed in flames. It didn't burn up. This is amazing. Moses says to himself, why isn't that bush burning? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Have you ever read scripture like that? Yeah, you do it every day. You do it literally every day. You're on the Bible reading plan and you open up because it's early it's the morning. You read the Bible you're like, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. That's literally how we read the Bible every day. But this is literally narrative. This is story. This is Talking, this is communication. So this is really what happens. Moses walks by a burning bush, literally a burning bush in the middle. Like imagine this tree is on fire out this window and it's not burning, but it's on fire. This is what Moses goes. He's like, this is amazing. That bush is not burning up. I must go see it. <laughs> I must take a closer look. I must, this is amazing. This bush is not burning. Why is this bush not burning? And then do you notice like this, this, this whole thing, it's, it's kind of like a dance because it's like when the Lord saw Moses come and take a closer look, he's like, I knew he'd come and take a closer look. I knew. I'm, he's, it's like God's in the bush like watching. Is he coming to take a closer look? Yeah, Moses is coming to take a closer look because this is amazing. This bush is burning. It's not, it's not burning though. Like is it, even, is it even burning if it's not burning? This is what's happening in Moses' mind. Is it burning if it's not burning? But it's on fire. It's engulfed. I must take a closer look. And God's like, is he coming? Is he coming? Because I've written myself into history in this moment right here to talk to him and speak to him in a way that he would understand because I know his interests and I know, I know what he likes. He likes fire and I know what he likes and I'm showing up in this moment because I've got a mission and I've got a task for him and he can do it. He doesn't believe in himself, but I believe in him. I believe in him more than he believes in him. And so when I talk to him, when he gets closer, I'm, I'm, I'm going to let him know I let this thing on fire because I'm cool like that. And if you don't think that Moses liked fire, remember that God also showed up later as a literal pillar of fire. Because we know from Scripture in Exodus 33 that Moses and God would talk like one talks to a friend. And I just think when Moses was talking to God like he talks to a friend, he's like, hey, do you remember that time that bush was burning, but it wasn't burning? 
can you do that again? He's like, because I'm not going anywhere without you, and you showed up first with fire, so just show up with fire again, so I'll always know which way to go. Because God just, he he understands you. He gets you. He knows you. He loves you. He cares about you. He's got a plan and a purpose for you. So he writes himself into your story that you may understand the depth and breadth of his love for you. Because when he's like tapping you on the shoulder with the sign, wondering a miracle, and you're like, I, I wonder if this is God. He's like, it's me. Nobody knows you like I do. Nobody loves you like I do. So then we get to James chapter 4, verse 8, and it feels like a reversal. It says this, come close to God, and God will come close to you. You're like, I I think that Bible verse is wrong. I think I read it the wrong way. I think it should say, because this is what we all do as humans, we tell God how the Bible should sound. Oh, you aren't trying to do your own thing whenever you, like, as often as possible? You read the scriptures, come close to God and God will come close to you. How about God, you come close to me, then I'll come close to you. He says, I've been coming close to you since the beginning of time because I've been writing myself into the story of all humanity. I've been coming close to you from the moment that this world existed. Remember when God would walk and talk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day? That has been his pattern. It has been his story. But what has been our pattern and has been our story is that God sent us a massive text message and we left him on read. Like, you come close to me. He's like, I'm coming. I'm closer than you think. You come close to me, and I'll come close to you, because when you come close to me, you'll finally realize that I've been close to you this entire time. It's a divine dance. Then he, then he throws down, though. He says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. And then he diagnoses all of humanity in one moment. He says, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. And that is the diagnosis of every human heart. For your loyalty is divided between God and this world. I love that we sang that song. Because uh, I've been thinking about Joshua 24 where it says, As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I don't know about you. I don't know what the declaration is over your house or your family or over your life. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. For our church family, as for me in this house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to honor him, whatever he asks us to do, however he calls us, however he speaks to us, however he directs us. That's why we threw out vision statements and value statements. We just said, listen, here's how we roll. We follow Jesus one step at a time. And you're like, I don't know. That sounds nice, but that seems complicated. No, it's very simple. Yeah, but we need to know what the next steps are. No, we don't. I think oftentimes as humans, we trust God after uh, he asks us to do something because we think that there's a better plan or that we have the best possible plan. And so we get into this moment where we're like, God, I'll trust you after you do it my way. And he says, how about you trust me first and then I'm going to show you my way. And trust me, it's more than you could ask, think, imagine, or dream. Oh, it's getting quiet now. Because my loyalty is divided between God and the world, when in reality what Scripture is also suggesting here is that my loyalty is divided between God and me, my world. So God's been trying to get our attention from the very beginning of time. 
as if to say, I have a plan and a purpose for you. I have a direction for you. I love you with an everlasting love. I know you, and I want you to know me. See, sometimes we think of the God of the Old Testament as, well, there's lots of ideas. We think of him as maybe angry or maybe as disconnected, but I would suggest to you today that he's deeply relational. Because God, the nature of God is at the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if you like the God of the New Testament, you like Jesus Christ, that's his son. The son exhibits the, the, qual- the qualities and characteristics of the father. Because the son said when he was on earth, I can only do what the father would have me to do. I only do what he says that I can do. And, and so what you do, what you realize is that you actually see the father through the son. I, I, have, I have two boys in, in Everett in Kingston. And uh, Kingston is like my mini me. He's like a clone. And Everett, uh, uh, lucky for him, looks more like Desiree. And so, <laughs> but I can see my characteristics in, in both of them. it's a natural thing. They begin to take on the characteristic of the family and of the home. The truth is, the closer we get to God, the more we get to know him, the more we begin to take on his characteristics. I've been thinking a lot about, actually, uh, I've been doing these Bible reading plans, and they've been, we just did a 21-day challenge. And so my Bible reading plan was done, because the next one doesn't start till um, December 1st. And so, I just read the same verse every day. And it's not in the notes, sorry, Colin. Uh, We're going rogue. Because I can. Romans 12, verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. Underline the word he, not me. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and purpose. Perfect. You know, the reality is every single one of us, every single human being wants to know, God, what's your plan for me? What's your will for me? What's your direction for me? What do you want me to do next? Where, 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 what should I do? Where should I go? The, and, and that's why, uh, you know, there's this magazine called Relevant Magazine. And I think they really just have one theme. Discover God's will for your life. And every magazine has an article about the exact same thing because it's targeted at young adults because every young adult wants to know, God, what's your plan for my life? And most of the time he's like, why do you keep asking? Because you're going to do whatever you want to do anyways. Oh, I just wasn't talking about young adults, especially us who've been through life a little longer. See, the truth is we get set in our ways and we get set in our rhythms. We get set in our patterns and we go, oh, man, uh, God, like, I want you to use me. But here's the thing. I'm available on Thursdays between four and seven. Right? Like, I got a three hour window. I thought that was pretty generous. But I also am going to eat during that time. So really, and because of inflation, I can't afford a cheeseburger anymore. So if you could also miraculously provide for me to eat in that window of time as well, could you multiply the cheeseburger and make a cheeseburger McDouble in Jesus' name? Yeah. 
But the truth is, when we read this and he says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, we, we remember earlier that we said that our heart is torn, our loyalty is torn and divided between God and this world and my world, which means that also my behaviors and customs are torn between my ideas and God's ideas. And the longer that we live and the longer that we exist, we put down some big markers. We draw some big lines in the sand and we say, this is the way that I exist and this is the time that I eat supper and this is the time that I go to bed and my routine is very important and I have to do these things. And if you mess up my routine, yeah, and God would say, stop asking me to use me (laughs) to use you if you don't have any time for me. I don't like this pastor. Get Pastor Jeremy up here. He's very encouraging. Pro tip, generally the bigger the smile, the harder the thing that I just said was. A spoonful of sugar. So we ask this question then, who, who is God? Who is God the Father? What is his nature? And that's what we've been studying and trying to discover. And what we find in Psalm 68, 5 and 6 is this. We'll start with verse 5. God is the father of the fatherless. The protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Who is God? Protector of widows and father of the fatherless. In other words, he loves and he cares for the most vulnerable. That's who he is. He loves and cares for the most vulnerable. That's why we're collecting stuff in the lobby for the Parkland Pregnancy Support Center. Because if God loves them, so should we. It should be a very tangible expression of of our church and of our heart and of our lives. This is who he is. This is his nature. This is his nature in his holy habitation, which means God does this without even having to stand up. He's still sitting down. He's like, listen, my nature is I'm father of the fatherless, protector protector of the widows. I care for the most vulnerable. Okay, so that's who God is. You know, in Exodus 34, the most quoted portion of scripture by scripture, God reveals himself, and Pastor Jeremy's done a good job at at laying this out, but in Psalm 34, we find this line that God is full of unfailing love and faithfulness, unfailing love and faithfulness. Fast forward to John chapter one, when Jesus shows up on the planet, it describes Jesus as full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Why? Because the, the son reflects the father. So the nature of God is this. He is father to the fatherless, protector of the widows, and full of unfailing love and faithfulness. That is who God is. So then what does God do? What is his plan for me in this journey? Well, we go to the next verse in Psalm 68, verse 6. If you're with me, still say, I'm with you. And he says this, God settles the solitary in a home. In another translation, it says, God places the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. God settles the solitary in a home. That's what this is. That's what the church is. The church is not just a place that you go, it's a place that you can belong. This is not just a group of people, it should be a family. 
That is what we are attempting to build here is a family, a, a, a group of people who deeply love one another, who are committed to one another. But if you notice, it says that he places the solitary in a home. So if this is already a home, then God has plans for expansion. Because there's always one more seat. There's always one more row. There's always another place. There's always another spot. There's always room for somebody else to experience the hope in life that's found in Jesus. The real question is, is there room in my life for one more? Is there room in my schedule for one more? Is there room in my routine for just one more? That's the question. Because that's the heartbeat of God. If he's going to change my way of thinking and he's going to bring my thinking into alignment with his thinking and make me a new person, it means that even if I go, listen, uh, uh, listen, <laughs> I, don't, I don't like to, I'm an introvert. I don't talk to people. You're a new creation. So being an introvert or being an extrovert is how you recharge. Wow, it's a party down there. You might be an introvert, you might be an extrovert. That's how you recharge. You can decide to love people, to open up your life, to be available. That looks different for everybody. But it's a status of the heart, not a personality type. Make sense? It's a status of my heart, not a personality type. So this causes us to ask a question. If God gives me a family, <laughs> it's amazing. If God gives me, we got to put some sound barriers there. Uh, if... So what you don't know about me is that a long time ago, I used to be a musician, used to play in a band. I'm long since retired. Uh, I, but Matt was a drummer in our band, and uh, so he's not retired. He keeps playing. Uh, one time we played a show with Jake and his band, and that was fun. Uh, they used to light their cymbals on fire, which is amazing. Um, we should try that here, I think, for Christmas. I think Christmas is the time that we'll just light things on fire. And uh, our insurance guy's here today, so if the church burns down, we didn't do that, Okay. <laughs> It didn't happen, but we do have a new $1.5 million facility. Uh, just kidding. Uh, it's $2 million that we should get. But um, but what you, I, I, I said all that for really no reason other than to say I have a constant soundtrack that plays my mind. So if... I hear music, I cannot focus because I, my mind just goes. When Des and I first got married, Des always used to fall asleep to music, which is weird, I think. Unless you do it, then it's great. Um, <laughs> and so she's like, how about, so it, wasn't, it didn't work for me. Uh, and so then she's like, but you get to pick the music this time. So my favorite band of all time is this band called Delirious, uh, which is amazing. And so I put on the first album, and then I listened to every album. Uh, <laughs> That night until it was morning. And then I got up and it was fantastic. But that's just the God, that's the way that God made me, you know. He made me that way. And 
That music is driving me so insane right now. It is incredible. But it's fine. It's fine. It's totally fine. It's, it's, it's not distracting me at all. It's totally fine. I'm okay. I'm okay, and you're okay, because God made me this way. But God gave me these gifts, talents, and abilities, so because I'm made this way, I can understand other people that are made this way, and I can have a deeper connection in the same way that he made you the way that he made you, so that you could connect with somebody just like you. There is somebody else that is just like you that needs Jesus. And no one's going to understand them like you understand them. And the things that we don't get about you or that we don't get about them, God does, that's why he sent you. See, here's the interesting thing. Uh, when, when, we, when we think about God placing a solitary in a family, we think about this, oh man, it's amazing that God gives me a family. And it's amazing that God gives me a seat at the table. But if he gave me a seat at his table, who could I invite to have a seat at my table? And I don't connect with everybody. It's impossible for me to know everybody. And I don't connect with every personality type. But somebody here does. Somebody in this family does. So in the same way that God has written himself into human history to say that I love you, I've got a plan and a purpose for you, he's, right, he's written you into somebody else's story, that you could be that burning bush moment for them. Come on, are you with me? They've been praying for a sign. You're it. The question is, do you have time in your routine to be it? To be that person? to shine that light. This is why we like short-term mission trips in other countries. Because we say, God, use me in the Caribbean. <laughs> and we go to another country and we do a building project because it feels nice and we share the gospel like we've never shared it before, but we do it with such courage and such boldness because we have no accountability because there's no relationship because I get to get on a plane and leave. And so we love that. We love to like airdrop the gospel and get out. But the truth is that's not the way God created it to be. He wrote us into humanity. He wrote himself into humanity's story and he wrote you into the lives of your friends and your families that you could carry the same hope in life that's transformed your life. He gave it to you that you could take it to them. And you go, but could some, like, could maybe Pastor Jeremy can talk to him? He could. But that's why God sent you. This is the responsibility of every believer, of every follower of Jesus, to say, hey, God gave me a seat at his table, and now you've got a seat at mine. And I'm here to be a sign and wonder and a miracle. that your life can be transformed. Can I, I throw this out to you as well? To be a sign and wonder and a miracle in somebody's life, you thought inflation was expensive. Showing up for somebody's expensive. He says he leads the prisoners into prosperity. And what 
Scripture means by that is that God leads everybody who is trapped in sin and shame, and he leads us into a rich and abundant life. John 10, 10 goes on to describe it as, as, as such, a life that is... Um, they might have life and have it abundantly. Another translation says that they might have a rich and abundant life. The, the word is Zoe, that they might have life life or life squared or doubly life or this incredible overflowing life. The overflowing life is found in Jesus, but it costs something. And as a believer, we have positioned ourselves to receive something. This is the journey of every believer. God changed my life. He does. God, I just want to be used by you. He uses you. Then you get in this game two or three years, and you're like, God, I need more of you. I need more. I need more. I need more. I need God. Help me. Fix me. Change me. And he's like, if you would listen to me the first time. But something happens inside of us that goes from, God, I'll give you my whole life, because that's, that's salvation, to, God, I need more life. But then in Proverbs 11, he says, those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Okay. I don't like that, though. Because that means i got to put the money out before I get something back. Yeah. Because you can't mock the justice of God. It says in Galatians 6. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, one will also reap. So the journey of a Christian life is, at salvation, God, I'll give you my whole life. And on day two, it's God, I'll give you my whole life. And on day three, it's God, I'll give you my whole life. And on day four, and day 365, and 692, and 727, God, I'll give you my whole life. But generally, somewhere around 416, we say, God, give me more life. And that's when we end up bitter and discouraged and angry at God and generally angry at the church. Because the truth is, the church can't give you what only God can. And delayed obedience is disobedience. So my loyalty is divided between God and this world. And the longer I get into it, the more I have to align myself and put aside my behaviors and my customs to embrace his. It's as simple as, do I believe this? Because here's the truth. I believe it, but generally I don't always believe it. You know what I'm saying? It's an 18-inch journey. Maybe it's a little longer for me because my head's big, but it's, <laughs> it's an 18-inch journey from my head to my heart where I understand that this is more than just concepts. It's the very word of God. It is life. It's life to my soul and life to my bones. And if I live in alignment with it, I will experience life, life. If I come out of alignment, I live just life. Those who live apart, it says in Psalm 68.6. So in Psalm 68.6, it says that he leads out the prisoners to prosperity. That's everybody who's following Jesus. And then for everybody else, and it's described here as the rebellious, they dwell in a parched land. Other translation says a sun-scorched land. Another translation says a dry place. 
So if you live without Jesus, you live in a dry place. A sun-scorched land where there is no water that is full of discontent. Those without Jesus or those who believe Jesus but don't believe in Jesus live in a sun-scorched land, a parched place full of discontent, desperate for a drink, and you will never have enough because Jesus, because only Jesus is enough. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, I want to leave us with this thought. Dissatisfaction in my own life could be, scratch that. If you're writing notes, scratch it out. Dissatisfaction in my life is a symptom. It shows the area in my heart, in my life, that I have not yet surrendered to Jesus. Romans 12, we are to go back there as Michelle feverishly makes her way to the front. I told her something different. I went rogue. It's fine. It's not her fault. It's my fault. She, should have, she would have already been up here had I preached what I said I was going to preach, okay? But I, I need to circle back to this before we move on. Romans 12, 1 again. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. How do we do this? We do this in every area of our lives. In some areas, it's easier than in others. Eat out. (laughs) We, Scripture teaches very clearly what sexual immorality is. So if we're going to live a life that's worthy of the gospel, we follow what the word has to say. You might not like what the word has to say. That's okay. But it still says what it says. You don't have to feel good about it for it to be true. So if I'm going to live a life that's worthy, a living and a holy sacrifice, this is every area. I mean, this is a pot calling the kettle black. It's like we could probably pay more attention to our own health. Me too. I signed up for the gym with Pastor Jeremy. Don't go that often, but I still signed up. <laughs> Punitive punishment every two weeks, you know? They take the money out and I don't go and I go, oh dear God, I need to go. To live my life as a as a living sacrifice is holy and acceptable to God. I have to take care of what he's given me. I have to be a steward of it. And this applies to every area of my life, from, from, my, from my physical fitness to the way that my relational health, my emotional health, my sexual ethic. I present myself as a holy and acceptable sacrifice to God. I live as worship. And then I create time and space in my routine for him. Because I understand the Great Commission, the last words of Jesus. Like, it's amazing that we pay attention to the last words of Uncle Ben and Spider-Man more closely than we pay attention to the last words of Jesus to his disciples. If I was to say, with great power comes great responsibility, who would know what I'm talking about? 
Can anyone tell me the last words of Jesus? We have two, and they don't even come to our church. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you, not the ones that you like, not the ones that you connect with, not the ones that really resonate with your soul. All the commands that I have given you. I live my life as a life of worship. Could teach them all the commands that I have given you and be assured of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, as if Jesus was to say, I'm coming back, but I'm with you right to the end. But because he has authority, he's asking us to make disciples. So let me ask you again, who are you showing up for? Do you have room? Do you have time? Do you have capacity? And when he speaks to you, are you willing to listen? Because God places the lonely and solitary into a family places them into your family, to my family. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions or are looking to get connected in any further way, head to saintschurch.ca and we would love to meet you.